When you grow up in a remote area, you don't have access to schools. And for these children, they didn't have access to the primary school. So to have a boarding school and to have a, a house mother who was there for them as well during the week, it and in conjunction with me at the school, plus my incredible teacher aides and admin assistant that I had, we were able to have um, yeah, create an environment for the children that was family-like. A big dream for the Sunday with a Story Roast project is to bring a vast dreamlike intrigue into your ears and ignite your imagination. For me, that couldn't be done without taking you to the Aussie Outback. Imagine, if you will, vast colours of browns and oranges and yellows and splatters of green, all rich in earth and absolute character and history. Personally, and maybe I'm a little biased, however, I think Australia is a place on earth like no other. And my guest today would definitely agree. She shares with us adventures of remote living and traveling to the center of Australia for a really magical, spiritual and life-changing experience. I'm Linda Bonney and this is Stories with a Sunday Roast. Joe Clark, welcome to the community. Thank you so much for joining us. We usually go back to the beginning as far as where you grew up and those sort of things, but I'd like to start on a different angle today. (laughs) I know that you've recently had what you described as a trip of a lifetime to Central Australia. And for our outside listeners and for somebody who's visited everywhere else except for Northern Territory, Central Australia, can you tell me a little bit about how that came about, what you were doing in that space and your experience and all the things? Sure. And thank you very much for having me on, Linda. I'm looking forward to chatting with you today. This was an opportunity that both my husband and I were able to grasp, thankfully, and I went first and then my husband went on a trip after me and basically what it was, uh, was able to be there as a, a volunteer, in a volunteer capacity, to work with a group of young Indigenous women. They're all from different parts of, a, of Australia, they came from all rural and remote areas, they belong to an organisation called Yallery, and Yallery is actually founded by a friend of my husband and myself. He and his wife put together this amazing organisation to assist Indigenous children who do live in remote and rural areas to be able to access going to have further educational opportunities at a boarding school. And mm. so what this organisation does, it provides scholarships for these young young men and women to be able to attend boarding schools from all around Australia. So at the furthest places in TI and very remote communities within Western Australia and, and Queensland and Northern Territory and everywhere in between, they're able to go to these amazing boarding schools and get these educational opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise be able to get. Now, one of the amazing things also that the organisation does, they do a lot of work with the children on culture and learning to be very proud of their Indigenous background. 
So they have a camp once a year, and it's normally for grade nine students. But unfortunately, with COVID, the grade nines missed out on their camp for two Mm -hmm. years. So I was able to go out with the year 11 students and with some of the staff from Yallery, which is the organisation. And we spent a couple of days in Alice and um, went out to a variety of places in and around the Alice Springs area. And then we made our trip further to Kings Canyon and then up to Uluru and spent some time there as well. And it was an absolutely phenomenal opportunity to not only experience these incredible places, but also to see it through the eyes of these young women and to see their immense pride and how much they valued their their culture and to learn more about their culture. Waverley, who is, he he's the founder, as I said, he and his wife put this organisation together a number of years ago. Waverley is an Indigenous man and his story was he went to the same boarding school as a first Indigenous board at Toowoomba Grammar and that's where my husband met Waverley and they've been friends since that time. And he's always of the whole, we give back. So this is his way of showing the children culture that may not come from their community but giving them a broader understanding of what's out there and how they can then take what they've learned from this area and give back. And it was just an extraordinary, extraordinary experience. Mm. And, yeah, the surroundings that uh, I know, I guess I liken it to some of the people that I've spoken to in the States in places like New York where I only really have my understanding from movies and TVs and Mm. books and everything like that. Can you... I know it might be a little bit hard to put into words, but can you describe that setting, colours, sounds, noises, smells, anything else that you really uh, were blown away by because it does just captivate you so powerfully? (laughs) It does. does. Mm. And and the colours especially. My husband and I also, we lived on a property in remote Queensland. It was his family property, far southwest Queensland. And so what amazed me actually when I got there is that the land looked very similar to the land that we owned when we were at Kanamala. Mm. And I suppose the only difference were the big canyons, the, the huge rocky outcrops. So that was a form of familiarity which I which took me by surprise, but it was also something that was really comforting and I felt an affinity for because I I, I loved that that land. But one of the incredible the whole spiritual aspect it it was like a force field hitting you. We were in Kings Canyon and we're in this, um, the, the, the girls were, because with my, with my, with my knees aren't quite as good as climbing and very rocky areas and up, up fairly steep, um, the canyon is quite steep. So by the time I was a little bit slower in getting there and the girls, and there were you know, a good 16 or so girls who are already sitting there in this incredibly beautiful spot which was a men's, sacred men's area um, originally and it was in front of a waterhole and you had all of these canyons around you and it, it mm. enveloped you and this stillness and these girls were just sitting there absorbed in feeling everything that was there from the tens of thousands of years of knowing that people had been there, sitting there before them. And on getting there, I've got goosebumps now, on getting there it was just an instant teary moment where you just felt you felt, I, I can't put it into, I actually can't put it into words what, I, mm-hmm. what the feeling was, but it was it was really truly a spiritual, um, uh, yeah, spiritual experience. So that, that was something that was quite extraordinary that took me by surprise. 
and just the, the colours, the dust, it was quite windy when we were there. So eating dust as you were eating your lunch and, and knowing, you know, we're, we're whinging and whining and complaining while we're all wrapped up in our, our lovely warm clothes and things and you think back and what the traditional owners of that area had been living for, for tens of thousands of years. It was, yeah, it was, it was just amazing. And, and once again, it was amazing being able to be a part of, of seeing the girls experience it as well. Mm. And I can almost picture, you know, the stark blue sky in contrast with the browns and reds and oranges and oh, then green splashes thrown in just, mm. Mm. again, it's really hard to actually describe and, yes, you can take pictures and see pictures and everything but actually feeling that and not needing to say anything. I imagine when you got there there was a silence almost between the people that were just soaking it all in. That's what made it even more powerful. There was that incredible silence, just a silence from where we were in the middle of nowhere but those girls sitting in, in, in absolute silence themselves just taking it all in and then you know you yourself doing the same yeah it was it was a beautiful moment and as you said the, the colors the colors are just extraordinary and seeing some of these the trees and the grasses growing in the in the harshest of environments and you just it's a great life lesson of what what can survive in the midst of absolute harshness and all of the elements that 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 area is exposed to mm, yeah Amazing. Goodness. So just talking about being that proud background heritage and what essentially makes up a lot of identity and that sort of thing. You mentioned far southwest Queensland. Let's visit there for a minute and tell me what that experience was like. Did you bring up your children in that setting how did you how, how long were you there and oh so many questions <laughs> well my, my husband grew up there went away to boarding school did some work went overseas and then came back to the family property and the property at that stage was then divided so what it was a a really large property put into a 40,000 acre parcel which sounds a lot for a number of people, uh, which it is, but it's all relative in those areas as well. So my husband and I, I went out there as, as a young principal at a, another remote school about an hour away from where the property was. And uh, when we got married, after a couple of years, I moved there full time. It was just too far for us to be there continually while I was working in the, at the school. Um, yes, we had our children there on the property. We, we, actually bought another 20,000 acres so we had 60,000 acres um, <laughs> it was it was a difficult time in a way because we also hit an extraordinarily severe drought um, mm. and we don't we didn't have any other family our closest neighbors were 20 minutes away and they were a much older couple we had friends and again our friends some of them were because it was a large district and we're talking big distances they were up to two hours away from us so for me to go to something even like a play group, it would be for me driving two hours on rough corrugated dirt roads 
uh, you'd be there for two hours and you'd pack the kids back up and off you'd go back home again for another two-hour drive home. And, and, and my kids were great explorers. They weren't the children to be sitting at your feet. So they'd be up the trees and they'd be in the boardroom. Yeah. And they'd be... So my, my yeah, lovely yes. time of catching up with my friends never really happened because, because I was <laughs> chasing after them. But it was, it was an incredible place for them to grow up and for me to experience as well because it was... Um, yeah, just the, the openness, the the uh, the ability to work together as a family. We did do distance ed, so I did teach my children for a short while, and then after after some time, because of the drought and because I wasn't able to work on a permanent basis, we ended up moving from Kanamala whilst we we still kept our property. Mm. But, um, very fond memories. Love. It's a it's an incredible place to live. Mm. <laughs> So on that property, were you essentially farming um, livestock or crops or anything like that? Was it a working station, if you like, or what was the sort of work that was involved in something like that? Sure. It was a sheep and cattle property. It's it's a semi-arid area, so, yeah, farming wasn't an option at all. We did did put our hand in trying to grow some date palms and – Echinacea, and so we, we did try a couple of things, but that was fairly no luck, intensive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And we are on, we, we were lucky we had bore water, so we didn't have to rely on rain per se for watering stock because you're able to have watering points where we're able to get from the Great Artesian Basin. But yeah, it was an incredibly beautiful part of the world, and it was harsh. And yes, being able to survive the elements with the animals was. Uh, yeah, really, really a period of of growth for me because I grew up in in a large rural town or not even rural town, okay, so regional town called Toowoomba or city called mm. Toowoomba. So for me, it was um, yeah, it was a big learning curve as well. Yeah, I imagine. <laughs> so I feel like we're working backwards a little bit. So. <laughs> <laughs> You just never know. No. <laughs> so, no. so tell me a little bit about growing up in Toowoomba and what that was like and how you ended up essentially so remote. <laughs> mm. Mm. Growing up in Toowoomba, I suppose you, you've got nothing to compare it to when you're a child, so I, and you don't even think to compare when you're a child. No. Uh, yeah, my both a working-class family. My father was a shift worker. Mum didn't work for the greater majority of my early years. She started working. I was the youngest of three girls, and she started working probably when I was around about high school age. Mm-hmm. I, it was it was a great period of time to grow up in. That was the the seventies for me. So I'm a end of sixties baby. So going to school, having neighbours close by who are all at school with you. You know, one of my best mates up the hill. So I you know go and visit her, be able to walk up the hill and go on your bike. So I suppose a, a childhood where it was relatively easy mm. access to everything. And then for me, once I finished high school. I went straight back on to study to become a teacher and I have always taught in rural and remote areas. I've never taught in a city area mm. at all. So for me, I've always had a love of, of the land. It was an opportunity actually for me to end up at, at a little school called Yulo, which was about 60 kilometres away from our property. So I applied for the position as a small school principal after having about six years of teaching experience behind me and it was 
fabulous. Absolutely loved that time. Yeah, well, um, it's yeah. quite new to the profession, though, after only six years being thrown into a principal of a remote school position, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, but you don't think about it when you're younger either. Everything is an no. adventure, isn't it? So you go in with really very green, but and the education was quite different back then. Or the setup was quite different back then. It was a lot more relaxed, and I suppose also being in a more remote location, it was relaxed. And I had fabulous staff who were at the school as well. I was very confident in what I was doing because I'd always taught in a multi-age, or not always, but I had four years behind me of of teaching in a multi-age classroom as well. So when I first went there, I had 20 kids who were in year one to seven, plus me being the full-time principal. And by the end of the year, they had a hostel built for for kids who used to be, this is interesting, Linda, for children who did come from remote properties Sometimes Mm. it was really difficult for the parents because they're working on the place as well to be able to educate the kids on top of doing all of their other jobs. Oh, yeah. And the cost of of somebody to help educate the governess is is sort of something they couldn't afford. So the the community incredibly had put together enough money to be able to build a hostel. And that was somewhere where these children who were primary school age children were able to come during the week and board during the week so they could access a school and have the socialisation of other children around them and then go home on weekends. So when I arrived at this little town, which is a, had a population of about 25, this hostel brought an incredible amount of energy to the mm-hmm. place. So there were at, when I first started, there were just under 20 children who were at the hostel. And by the time that I, my end of my first year, it was such a success that there were 25 or 26 kids who ended up boarding at this hostel. So I was teaching in the, at the height of it around about 29 children from grades one to seven until I got my second teacher. And that was hard work. That was, that was a oh. lot of work. But it was, it was beautiful because I had my dog. My dog came to school with me every day as well. Oh. It, was, it was the most beautiful <laughs> place and relaxed place on top of the having a lot of work, but it really was a wonderful opportunity for, for not only the kids but for me and, um, yeah, for the staff there. The family. Yeah, yes, and you were with those children a lot and so you saw the highs and the lows, the floods, the droughts, the fires, the new mm-hmm. babies being born, the, yeah, and you had these children for a number of years. And I, I taught there for four and a half years before I left to have my own family. Yeah, yeah, I remember my mum and yeah, definitely a scaled down uh, story, but I actually interviewed my mum only recently as well for a chapter and a podcast episode. And she remembers growing up on an apple farm, apple orchard, not quite as many acreage, but she also remembers the droughts and fires. So they Mm. had really severe fires in 67. She remembers the front doormat being a light and all Ah. sorts of things. So it really does have a severe impact for a lot of your life. And it's no surprise that those memories stick around as well. Yes, yes. (laughs) Mm, Definitely. I'm keen to hear more about this family tight-knit type school situation as well after being exposed to it a little bit but not in a full-blown sense can you explain a little bit about the community that does create and essentially teaching I'm guessing you were teaching ranges from 6 to 16 as well 
is there a, I guess, a bit of a ethic or values that feel that really shine through within the group and within what has to happen to get, you know, everybody functioning together in a way or <laughs> all that sort of stuff. Tell, tell me more and tell me what you can about that little, hmm, that little environment, if you like. Sure. Uh, it was probably more six to 12-year-olds uh, because okay. it, was, it was a primary school. And, again, once mm. when you're living in those remote areas, those children know, and, and same with my own children because my own children went away to boarding school as well. When you grow mm. up in a remote area, you don't have access to schools and for these children they didn't have access to the primary school so to have a boarding school and to have a a house mother who was there for them as well during the week it and in conjunction with me at the school plus my incredible teacher aides and admin assistant that I had we were able to have um yeah create an environment for the children that was family-like and because even though the district is spread, people know each other. You know, mm. might be living 150K away from the little town but you know each other because people would come from a long way away uh, to, to gather to social events. So we were able to create this beautiful little microcosm of a, of a family-type atmosphere. There'd be, you, know, you might have four in a family who were boarding as well so that, you know, we had a couple of fairly big families where, all the kids would be boarding or there might be three and then the next one would leave for year seven or year eight to go away to boarding school and then, the, you know, the baby of the family would be starting. So it really was a beautiful environment that you – yet it had a challenges, of course, because for these mm. kids they're living and breathing with each other all the time. So you knew when it was holiday time was coming because the little niggles, even in a normal classroom, Everyone yeah. starts to get a little bit tired of each other. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, you, you start there and, and you'd, you'd experience that when you've got children of your own. If, with mm. familiarity, there does breed some contempt. So you'd have to, it was sometimes a, yeah, a bit of a juggling act to to be able to get the kids back on track and, you know, not to have the fight that might have happened at the night before to carry over into the, into the classroom or the mm. playground. Mm. But all in all, these children knew what a phenomenal phenomenal time and I suppose the parents gave up a lot you know to, to, to have your young child go away to to board during the week that's a big thing when they're, they're much younger they were probably prepared for boarding school but you know their, their parents gave them an incredible opportunity and and those children knew that and they valued education which was wonderful yeah um, we had a few town kids there as well so the children got to know the town children a little little bit better and then you'd have Fridays where people would would head down to to the local watering hole at the the Yulo Queen Hotel and yeah it would be a lovely opportunity again for the parents to be able to see each other a little bit more frequently Mm. than they probably would have so that was a really big thing too I think is not only for the kids to have that socialization it was the opportunity for parents who would normally be isolated a lot more um, from their friends, but they got that opportunity to see their friends on a more frequent basis. Mm, yeah, and it's interesting because boarding school to me has seemed quite mysterious in a way. We had a boarding school or a boarding hostel, which I think wrapped up fairly soon after I finished where I was, but we had a hostel-type situation at our high school. 
mm-hmm. and that's sort of in the capital city of Tasmania as well. So we even had people remotely coming and I was always so intrigued or, ah, I don't know, it just, it was such a mystery to me and I couldn't imagine myself going away to something like boarding school and leaving or I felt like it was it would be leaving family behind and other things like that. But then again, I wasn't exposed to the isolation or the lack of resources, opportunities, all those sort of things. I had all of those at my fingertips. So, yeah, it's hard to imagine even for my own kids as they're approaching 12 and high school age, I couldn't imagine sending them off to boarding school. It's quite. Yeah. It is. As as a mum, it is really hard. It, yeah. breaks, it absolutely breaks your heart. It was it was one of those funny things as a parent when my my children went away to school. It, you were very sad when you had to say your goodbyes, and you felt that deep sense of of loss of mm. their their being their their presence in the house. And then you you wouldn't you know my husband and I would get into a bit of a rhythm, and everything you know we, we would. We'd see them, and that's what another reason why we move from our um, more remote location to to another property of a town that was about an hour and a half away from the boarding schools, just so we could zip in and see them for their sporting events or cultural events or school mm-hmm. functions. So we we got into apart from seeing them on the odd weekend, we we got into the rhythm of you know, life without the kids in the house, and so yeah. that, <laughs> and then all of a sudden it'd be holiday time, and the kids would come home, and oh man, they'd be the mess again, and oh my god, <laughs> now we've got. <laughs> So there was this, for about seven years when they were all, or seven or eight years when the, when both kids were away. Um, it, it was this this constant ebb and flow of yeah. of the the noise of the family again and the rhythm of more people in the house to the quietness and yeah, it was it was an interesting time. Uh, yeah, and even just the cooking factor, like mm-hmm. having extra people around the table and extra and that's that's one thing I suppose living in a remote location too it took us so long to get over the fact that um you know how much you buy of everything how when you go away or you water in food you would buy in bulk and so when we moved closer we had the access easier access to grocery stores and and you know big shopping areas um, that were much closer to us just getting used to not having the amount of food that we once had. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that was a lot of getting used to. But as you said, once you, the, the kids coming and going, it's it's sort of switching on. But, again, we got into a bit of a rhythm. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure, like you said, there was some really great moments when you did reconnect again because there was uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder in different ways and levels and, while it's not necessarily always the best scenario for everyone, it sounded like it really did uh, benefit both them and you in a slightly yes. <laughs> slightly different way as well. Mm. Yes. Well, they were both very academic, the kids. Yeah, so they had opportunities to be able to access different different learning opportunities and my daughter was incredibly gifted with music and singing so she had access to be able to to get some bands and the teachers and things to help her in that area as well. And my son was very sporting, so he was able to access various sporting teams and and whatnot. So, yeah, it was was fabulous for both of them in different ways. 
And what have they ended up doing now? What do they remember from that experience as well? I think they've got mixed mixed feelings. They've got good friends still from those from their boarding school days. Uh, yeah, it's they've got mixed mixed emotions. Um, mm-hmm. But with mm-hmm. everything, I think it doesn't matter what if you speak to any child; they'll have mixed oh. emotions about their their school <laughs> days. I certainly do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's that whole reflection piece. I think also can tie into different personalities or different ways that you've then experienced life after childhood in adulthood and different perceptions and there's so many layers to how we then perceive our childhood as adults as well. Yeah, for sure, for (laughs) Mm. sure. Mm -hmm. And as a child compared to a parent, it's a very dynamic mix I think <laughs> it is um mm. look I, I I'm sure they went through some really difficult times and would have loved dearly to have been at home and had the support of mum and dad and or you know, just to retreat to their own room and not have everybody else there because you're living with a lot of other people yeah uh, so that that would have been really hard for them but on the flip side they also had a lot of people around them to help them with the the sad times who knew what they were going through so yeah it's um I suppose as they get older they'll be seeing different parts and different things from their experience away at at boarding school yeah and I think and this is something to touch on if you're comfortable to do so I know that you lost your mum as well which I then think you start to reflect a lot more and think about different ways that your own children are venturing into the world and what the future looks like for them and your past and everything else like that as well. So it's definitely quite a wild ride <laughs> in that side of things. Uh, I believe that was quite a wake-up call for you as well. Yeah, that's for sure. It's it's um. Yeah, mum passed away now. It'll be nearly eighteen months ago, and you you look back and you you think about, I suppose, what it was like growing up in a different circumstance to what my children grew up in, and then you think, well, what? How are they going to raise their children? So the legacy of my mum it was passed on to me, and I passed on that <laughs> legacy to my children, and I'm sure there's a good, mm-hmm. the bad, the ugly with that as well. Yeah. Um, I just relate it a little bit to my own mum watching her mum, you know, going through quite some major health scares and things like that. And now as my mum is approaching her mum's age, I think there's a little bit of anxiety that's unspoken. Mm. Mm. (laughs) And so as we age and as we yeah lose those family connections in a way by our children moving away or out or to boarding school or and passing on or there's so many different twists and turns in life yes. <laughs> as well there mm. is with my mum she she sadly she was of the generation Linda and your mum would I'm imagining would be of the same um, mindset where you would never question the doctor. 
Uh And whatever the doctor said or whatever the doctor gave you as a prescription was what you took. And sadly, I suppose um, some, some older people end up almost rattling as they as they walk through life with the amount of medications that they're on mm-hmm. so with my with my mother she was probably given various medications which may or may not have suited her as well as some others may you know to, to look after uh, a symptom or to manage a symptom so what ended up happening to she got side effects from one drug, then she would be given another drug on top of that to look after those side effects and then another one to, you know, it was just a mm. cascade of of medical intervention, a lot of it that was unnecessary, which was actually a Band-Aid on a Band-Aid on a Band-Aid, um, masking various problems that they were causing with her and to the point where she became very ill, very frail, very quickly. And it was... You know, my sisters and I, we, we look back on some of the photos of of mum and just realise how fast she went downhill. And a lot of it wasn't due to her not looking after herself. It was due to the medications and some of the medical advice that was given to her. And not questioning. Wow. And again, not wow. questioning that because a lot of, yeah, it being disempowered. And so for me... I'm, I'm a sort of a very determined person and I'm like a dog with a bone and I was bloody determined that that was not going to be the way that I was going to be ageing and that I would be doing everything that I could to stop something like that from happening. And so a lot of it I, I changed, not changed, I suppose, I became more aware. Uh, there were some changes, and I'll, I'll be, be honest, there were some changes to what I did with with regards to the lifestyle because how you live today is how you, you know, you're going to set yourself on how you are going to live in the future. And Mm. we've got, what we've got in our society, a lot of people who are living longer, but also dying longer in Mm. that they're not living the life that they should towards the end of the years. They're they're, um, reliant on so many medications to keep them going. Whereas probably with some lifestyle changes that could be different for them and they could live a much more vibrant happier life rather than being bedridden and reliant on other people for their last yeah. few years and so that's how my mum was for the last few years she was reliant on on others and I know she she hated that and um yeah mm. it was we we can't predict our future but we can have some control and I think for some people they've lost a lot of that control do you want to explain a little bit before your mum aged essentially very quickly do you want to explain a little bit about the sort of person she was for you growing up? Being mm. we've worked backwards. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My mother was a very traditional uh, mother of the seventies. She gave up a lot of, I suppose, her her freedoms, her dreams for her children. Um, and mum, mum lived a fairly hard life. My my dad was. He used to drink quite a bit and so mum had to deal with that as well but growing up she I remember she was a sort of mum who made all of the clothes for us made the dolls clothes she was always there always there always home mm. um, and mm-hmm. so she was she was a great safety net um, growing yep. up yeah 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 mm. yeah and did she 
in, in being the traditional mother, did she like to cook up a bit of a Sunday roast? <laughs> oh, my goodness. The Sunday oh. roast, that, that is, isn't that a memory of childhood, the Sunday roast? Oh, it is. <laughs> the point where I think she got over, she must have decided it, and, and my husband's mother was the same. And maybe it was their, yeah. their little right. This is my this is my line that I'm going to draw in the sand, and they didn't have you know the women of that era didn't have a lot of power and a lot of say, but I no. think and listening to my to, to my mother in law she's since passed as well, but listening to my my mother in law and, and and my mum they both came to a conclusion that they were over the Sunday roast they weren't going yeah. to do it anymore. <laughs> and I, I can't quite remember at what age that that was, but. For me, I, I distinctly the remember. Rebellious. The rebellious. Yep, that's it. That's it. But uh, I know a, a roast, whether it happens on a Sunday or not, is an important part of uh, yeah of our family tradition as well. And my kids love the roast. And, of course, it was used to be our own meat. So the fact that we could have our own, you know, lamb roast uh, and then have the, the cold meat left over for the sandwiches the next couple of days, that was always a a really big part of, of growing up for my children as well. Yeah, and then trying to sneak some Brussels sprouts onto the plate or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Roasting those up is quite tasty. As an adult, I can appreciate Brussels sprouts now. As a yeah. child, it was poison. No, no way. <laughs> and did you have all of the veggies and the trimmings and the gravy and everything else like that? Yes, yes, and I remember the dripping at the end of a big roast, there was a, the dripping pan where the, the, all of the, the fat and so forth was, was poured into. And my dad loved dripping and dripping, putting the, oh, just my toes curl thinking about it, you know, putting the, the dripping on bread and eating that. In fact, I think one of my sisters used to enjoy that as well. But, um, yes, I do remember the smells, the smells of a Sunday roast were just divine. There was quite an anticipation, so it'd almost be put on at you know ten a.m. where you'd start shelling peas, all that sort of thing, and then you'd be waiting and waiting and smelling slowly, smelling the stronger and stronger smells, yes. and then you'd and then be fighting. Sin- yeah, fighting who was going to get the nice crunchy bit of the roast. Uh-huh. <laughs> you'd be sent outside because it was getting all a bit too much in the kitchen and then you'd come back in and the smells would be even stronger and maybe 2pm or something you'd finally get to sit down and be starving. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is so true, so true. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, such such a great Great thing to come together with and, yeah, the definite foundation for a lot of these conversations. So I really, yeah. really appreciate your time and your sharing and taking a trip down memory lane, as we say. Yes. yes. We, we walked down a few lanes today thank, and thanks so much for the opportunity to do that because some of those, I haven't thought about some of the things that we, we chatted about for quite some time. Yeah, that's that's a big part of why I'm doing this and, you know, this is taking the time to make sure that we're capturing the good memories inside all of those and leaving a bit of a legacy as well for our children and all sorts of things like that. So thank you so much. You are very, very welcome and thanks so much for having me on chatting about this, Linda. Did that take you right to the outback? (laughs) Oh, goodness. It really warms my heart so much to think that we can bring a little slice of Australia all over the world 
and even down here to Tasmania at the same time. Going over the other side of the globe just for a second, I introduce you to Jill, who I had the great pleasure of sitting down with. Here's a here's just a little bit of Jill and what she has to say. It's hard to find somebody else that's willing to be open about the ugly part of our minds and how we're feeling and those intrusive thoughts and stuff. So you feel very alone and it did not help. And you know this, but cause you went through it, mm-hmm. having to go through an isolated pregnancy and yep. childbirth mm. and then raising an infant while the entire world is shut down was not a card anybody expected to be dealt in the last two years. And I think that had even major role into how my transition into motherhood and my new identity went. To hear more about current projects and the book, please head over to lindbonnie.com and I gladly welcome you to the community. Thank you so much for joining us.